in. It's time for Denny Villeneuve. Del Dennis Villeneuve. <laughs> uh, yes. So he is French Canadian. Mm-hmm. Okay, just making sure he's not uh, fully French. No, not that there's a problem with that. He's pretty um, much just Canadian. Right. Uh, all, all but name. Um, yeah. So to be clear, he has a number of movies and shorts uh, in his Canadian career, which some of them are very difficult to find, to watch. Um, but I definitely am, am meaning to watch Maelstrom and Polytechnic for sure. But mostly incendies. Have I seen this? This looks familiar. No. Incendies. No, I have not. You you saw incendies though, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, he has a short also called Next Floor, which came out in 2008. But if you if you are very interested in this guy, um, which I mean, I guess we can just talk. He did Prisoners, Enemy, Sicario, Arrival, Blade Runner, and Dune. So Blade with Runner 2049. Blade Runner 2049. So with each movie, the budget has gotten like slightly larger, except for Enemy, um, I'd imagine. I don't know what the budget of Prisoners was, but Dune, I'm sure the budget was out of control. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's pretty consistently just made bigger and bigger movies. Prisoners, Prisoners is 46 million, so Enemy was really the only, you know, Outlier. quote unquote step backward, but it felt like it was just like he wanted to make another small movie. Yeah. And that kind of finishes out his Canadian career. I just figured I would introduce to people because they may not like connect him with the movies he's done, um, despite people probably hearing of, of the movies he's made. Um, but yeah. anyway, I would definitely encourage checking out his his um, older stuff because I fully intend on doing that. Just haven't. I heard good things about Polytechnic. Heard great things about Incendies. I know people love those two. Yeah, he's not a... Um, he's not quite a celebrity director um, yet he's definitely getting i mean with dune i would argue he is now like he, he is yeah very likely a household name um i mean arrival got him a ton of international buzz being nominated for oscars and things but um yeah i mean blade runner and dune have, have definitely catapulted him into the the highest echelon that a director can get to um but yeah, we'll kind of breeze through his Canadian stuff because neither of us have seen his first two films, which are much smaller budgeted um, and, to my knowledge, never received large international releases. And difficult um, to find to watch. Yeah, yeah. They're both very small budgets, um, like less than $10 million. Incendies is the same way. Small budget, like $7 million. Um, same with Polytechnic. Um Polytechnic is a very intense movie about a school shooting in Canada at a school called Polytechnic. Um, it was known as like the Montreal Massacre. Mm. Uh, 
it's somewhere in between the films Elephant by Gus Van Sant and um, uh, what is it? Kevin. Call me Kevin. Oh, what the hell's that name? It's a film with John C. Riley and Ezra Miller. I think it's called Call Me Kevin. I don't know. No. We need to talk about Kevin. Sorry. Oh, uh, oh. Lynn, Lynn Ramsey film. Okay. Um, I've heard of that. Yeah. Great Scottish director. Um, did I? I I prefer both. We need to talk about Kevin and Elephant to Polytechnic, which is a good movie. Um, <clears throat> obviously more nationally localized um, in its subject matter, but in terms of what you can mine from a school shooting movie. Um, I don't know. I'm not a not a big fan of the the reenactments of those. Whereas um, we need to talk about Kevin at least. Uh, it doesn't try to exploit the subject matter for drama, whereas Polytechnic kind of does. I see. Um, still very well made. Uh, and then Incendies, I would argue, is kind of the end of his Canadian career before he really jumped into Hollywood. Um, and that is a really serious Canadian drama. Um, based on a play of the same name by like a Lebanese Canadian guy. Uh, and it's a lot about um, a lot of conflict in the Middle East and uh, family, some bureaucratic nightmares of trying to get family out of the Middle East uh, and the difficulties of being an Arab in Canada. Mm. Uh, specific, specifically in like French Canada. Um, now I'm way more interested in watching yeah, it. Yeah, it's a very extreme movie. There's some really messed up stuff in it. Um, Shit. I'm of no surprise. Yeah. Yeah, I can't, I don't want to say more because yeah. I don't want to spoil it for you um, or anyone else. But yeah, there's some some dark stuff in it, but it, it hits all the right notes. Um, emotionally, it works really well. It's a really solid drama. Um, it was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film, which is how I think Villeneuve was able to uh, pierce into Hollywood and get uh, the first film that we'll really begin to talk about here, Prisoners, made. Uh, this was the first movie of his I saw. So I heard about this coming out in theaters, 2013 movie. Um went and saw it and was blown away. I thought it was a phenomenal movie. Uh, career high performance from Hugh Jackman. Excellent performance by Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, really good supporting cast of Paul Dano, Viola Davis, Terrence Howard, um, Melissa Leo, um, and what's his name? David um, Dasmalachian. An incredible character actor. Oh, Yes. Uh, the dude from like the Dark Knight yes. and Polka yeah. Dot Man and the Suicide Squad and no, he's he's awesome in this. Uh, most recently in Oppenheimer, great great actor and yeah, he's <clears throat> he's excellent in this movie. But this this is one of the best um, modern mystery movies. Incredible thriller. 
very tense extremely yes. tense uh this is i would say a brother of zodiac but like this is even more tense at times than zodiac yeah which surprises me because this movie came out like five to six years after zodiac they mm-hmm. just like look and feel like they came out the same year mm-hmm. um, yeah i mean so much of the uh impressiveness of this film comes from I mean, beyond the actual actors and Villeneuve's direction, uh, but most importantly, Roger Deakins' cinematography. Oh, yeah. Uh, so legendary cinematographer Roger Deakins and the score by Johan Johansson's. <laughs> yes. His real name is Johan Johansson. You said Johansson's. Well, that's what you said. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> he also he also scored Sicario and Arrival. Yeah, um, I think I think this is the second or third movie I saw by him. Um, like I think I saw Sicario and Arrival before Prisoners. Actually, gotcha. yeah, I was just lucky that I like was going to the movies all the time. Uh, when that came out, unfortunately, Johan Johansson is dead. Shit. Uh, yeah, he was not that old. I don't know what happened to him. If you were, if you were like, if it's a, th- this, this feels like a really good Friday night, like thriller movie, I would say like go order a pizza, sit down and watch, watch this. I would not. Oh, damn. Johansson died because of a lethal combination of cocaine and flu medicine. Oh, dude. God damn it. Johan. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you that this has that this is a, a very good late night movie. Um, it is entertaining, but to call it entertainment is doing it a disservice because it is very serious. It's entertaining um, to a specific type of person, which is me. <laughs> like like the thrill, the thriller aspect and the mystery aspect, like being yeah. able to combine both of those. Um, the Batman that came out most recently has mm-hmm. a bit, a bit of the elements of this movie to it, like with the mystery aspect to it, but obviously not as solid mis- mysteriously. Yeah, it's, it's <clears throat> kind of like a cross. I mean, it has elements of like season one true detective yeah um just with like the attempt to unravel a conspiracy that ends up being much simpler than it first appears yes um but most largely it's about the darkness underneath things that appear to be simple on the surface um Mm -hmm. and it's pretty much all because of um gyllenhaal's character detective loki that everything is uncovered despite the fact that um, Hugh Jackman's character, the really the main characters are Jackman and Gyllenhaal's characters. Jackman, an, an unrelenting father whose yeah. daughter was taken and is missing, um, and he is driven to do whatever it takes to get her back. Yeah, it's a good Thanksgiving movie. So it's about <laughs> it's about two families who get together for Thanksgiving. Both of them have young daughters who disappear. Yeah. Uh, and Hugh Jackman is, like you said, he's like a prepper. So he's yeah. like prepped for the apocalypse and he's shown that he will do anything. 
to get his daughter back. And he ends up solving the mystery before Gyllenhaal does. Uh, much to his own. Yeah. Uh, you you, you got to see this, especially for the end, because it is fucking haunting. <clears throat> yeah, great, great movie. Roger Deakins cinematography in this is excellent. I mean, you can tell it's it's based off of uh, Phil Love's direction. Like the two of them just work together perfectly. Yes. Um, and I believe Deakins would then go on to work with him again repeatedly. Um, not well, yeah. on Rival, but on uh, Blade Runner and Sicario. Yeah. Um, but yeah, not Arrival or Dune. Um, Deakins is an absolute beast. Just an absolute beast. But I don't, I don't want to go on too much of a tangent. With I, I do want to say that Deacons, uh, I've listened to tons of his interviews because he's a guy who gets really into the technical details of uh, how he shoots stuff. Um, and he did this one interview about prisoners where he basically just talked about Rembrandt paintings for half an hour. Jesus. And how that was his, like, main... Uh, like that was what he like was inspiration choosing, how he was like yeah exactly that was his like swatch like not so much color wise but like um what what what's that called like it's like a, a board that you have for like inspiration like your inspiration board dream board no no it's like an architectural thing that anna talks about all the time where you oh. just have like images of different like houses or something, and you try to incorporate the elements from those houses into whatever you're trying to do. In like it, it's not inspiration board, but it's basically the same thing. <clears throat> um, yeah. Uh, I, I, I could talk about this movie for a long time. So let's go on to Enemy, also starring Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, he is at the center of this movie uh, as he plays two different characters. Mm-hmm. Um, One of the first big uh, distribution releases by A24. Oh, yeah, that's right. The coloration of this movie is, is awesome. That, like, yellow, yeah, yellowish look. sickening. It's, like, a very um, anemic cut. What's What's the... What's the word for when your skin gets yellow because of liver Sallow? Failure? No, there's a specific word I'm thinking of. It's yellowing of the skin due to liver failure. Anyway, that's what this movie looks like. It's a very gross color. But yeah, it's about... Jaundice? Jake. Yes, jaundice. It has a jaundiced color to it. It's more orange, though, than yellow. Yeah. When there's lighting, though, it does look more like yellowish green. Well, during the daytime, during the daytime, I should say, not at night. And Melanie Laurent from, uh, is she from the Bastards, Inglorious Bastards? Yes. um yeah this is a psychological uh movie um it reminds me in some ways of uh primer 
just from like the odd like puzzle pieces and you figuring trying to figure things out with that character and they're like double like doubles if you will um yeah the basic premise of the movie is that like is he a professor he's a teacher at like a community college maybe yeah yeah um he history professor yeah he sees a guy that is him like like to a t is just him but he is in he's an actor in movies yeah he's (laughs) like in the background of a movie he watches so then he becomes like obsessed with that and tries to like find him basically uh yeah a whole ton of abstraction going on and you really stuff with giant tarantulas oh fuck yeah (laughs) like like literally the thing of nightmares yeah and it'll it'll get you like the movie will get you this is not like an entertaining movie like this is no, not a movie to be entertained by. No, it's a bit of a challenging, uh, a, tr- a challenging thriller. And I say that, but from a perspective of fully loving it, like the whole time I was on board. <laughs> There's some slow aspects to it towards the beginning, but I still enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean it's very psychological. It's very artsy, um, and due to that, I think the ending very specifically. Um, defies an immediate answer for what the film is supposed to be about yeah um which it makes def- it very different from his other hollywood films yeah i mean it it very clearly seems like it's saying your only enemy is yourself but then also you have an enemy in other people's in in other people insofar as you allow them to be an enemy to yourself <clears throat> Mm-hmm. is what it feels like to me um and like whether or not you imagine enemies out there trying to get you or like destroy the world um yeah or more importantly the real enemy is yourself right um Moving there's on. also there's stuff in the background about him being a history professor where he talks about like totalitarian regimes and like the inevitability of humans to create like dictatorships of complete control the same way that the one guy tries to basically control his double um sort of mirroring the control he lacks over himself like you just yeah. can't control your subconscious yeah and and also that a lot of people who struggle with their like controlling their own life will then try to control other people's lives to the degree of like a fascist dictatorial regime um then there's sicario which came out in 2015 so enemy was 2013 which to be clear i also get enemy confused with oh god there's another movie that came out maybe it's is it a it has Jake Gyllenhaal in it, and I think it has doubles in it. 
and Amy Adams is in it. Nocturnal, Nocturnal Animals, Animals. Yeah. which I haven't seen. That's um, okay. The, yeah. the script is like half baked. But anyway, Sicario came out in 2015. Um, and Sicario Day of the Soldado. This movie absolutely slaps, like on so many different levels. Um, good God. The acting in it is awesome. Uh, the direction, the action in it also is amazing. Like if you if you're on board for just like, um, not an infiltration, but like like uh, spec ops missions. Like if you like that sort of thing in a movie, then this this movie does that, and then does like e- like other things as opposed to just being like a mission impossible movie right um yeah it's so satisfying and also not satisfying as well like it it peels that back and is like no you don't get you don't get to have your cake and eat it too in fact you can really only just look at the cake and then someone's going to slap you in the face yeah it is uh emily blunt phenomenal as as always i mean despite being as extreme as it is it still ends up being a fairly subtle movie yes Um, for sure especially given the latter quarter yeah but i think it ultimately this is one of those movies where like um for as much as it's as it's uh like unsubtle like the themes of the movie about the border war and sort of the black ops spec ops like illegal extra extra legal um processes by which the cia tries to in i wouldn't say infiltrate cartels but basically work with and against cartels to make the drug war endless um it still manages to have a lot of sort of deeper meaning to it that I think really respects the audience's time by giving them a movie that is completely entertaining and action-packed while also managing to be something that um, says something about, you know, the American dream and the failure of the American dream or the American government. Oh, yeah. It's commentary on, like, the military-industrial complex and what America is willing to do to protect its border, but also to just, like, maintain its sovereignty and power uh, over other countries. Um, You don't really see that in, in a lot of movies that, like, also just have this level of action to it, in, as opposed to just being, like, a strictly, like, war movie. Or just being like one thing, um, and I would I would credit that a lot to the the choice of the main character, like because it's told through uh, her lens. It does a lot more than just being like a an anti-war or an anti-war um, machine movie or an anti-American film. Yeah, it's more objective in its view. Like, you get the subjective feeling of Emily Blunt's character as she is, like, slowly drawn into this conspiracy 
Um, but ultimately, like it doesn't it doesn't necessarily paint uh, Del Toro and Bro- Brolin as the villains, even though their actions are obviously extreme, Correct. And very violent. Um, well, they are trying to work within the crazy convoluted web that they've been placed in and have also influenced making the web that much tighter around them and the and the people that the web is connecting. Yeah. So they are trying to make sense of it. And, and I don't want to say they're trying to make the world a better place, but they're clearly acting on their own moral code, which is one of the reasons why the movie is so fascinating is because... Emily Blunt clearly has like a moral code of like, well, well, we can't do that. That's just wrong. We're not going to do that. And then the other characters are like, we're going to fucking do that. Like, I don't think yeah. you understand how America works or I don't think you understand how the Sicarios work. Like, this is what's going to happen. I mean, the movie, the movie's opening is like, yeah, we're not fucking around here. <laughs> like, I don't know whatever whatever you thought you were going to watch or I don't know what you thought America's relationship was with other countries or the the drug cartel but this is what the drug cartel is all about. And then also showing like the images of uh um what's the of Juarez is it Juarez that they're in or is it somewhere else that they are? Yeah, they go to Juarez to extradite um one of the cartel guys brothers. Yeah, and people are just hanged off a bridge welcome to juarez yeah it's literally what they say when you see them yeah that border crossing scene also holy shit i i hope you realize they they straight up ripped that and put it into a call into a call of duty like there's an entire assume there's an entire map that is based on that and mission but yeah, this while this movie remains objective, my biggest problem with the Call of Duty franchise is the fact that it lands more like <clears throat> like the fundamental writing philosophy of those games is more along the lines of Brolin's character where it's yes. more like Jack Nicholson from a few good men like we need men on those walls like they're bad people and we got to kill them that that is exactly what it is america america first we're gonna fund these we're gonna fund this terrorist organization that's not actually terrorist organization they're they're doing some things but like they got to do those things because we got to stabilize this government because if we don't stabilize this government they're gonna go into a panic and then those two drug cartels are gonna take over and then more people are gonna die yeah which well, this movie like, is directly commenting on. Yeah, but Brolin makes the point of like, well, so the the plot ends up being that basically Brolin and Del Toro are on some mission to go kill a cartel lord so that the main cartel that the CIA is working with consolidates its power. With Brolin's sort of excuse for doing so, is that it's better to work with the one cartel because they can't get rid of the illegal drug trade, not because like the crime is inherent to Mexico, but because Americans are just love drugs. Yeah. And so like he ends up being a product of his system, despite the fact that he's in complete control of what he does at all times. Yeah. 
and ultimately the tragedy of the story is that Emily Blunt is like allowed to peek into this world as a very effective like FBI special agent. And then, you know, at the end, you just get that great scene between her and Del Toro where he's like, you don't belong here. Like, this is only for wolves. Yeah, like, you're not a wolf. You got to be a wolf to be here. And he sp- and he spares her while completely having the option of just like removing her. Yeah. And then, I mean, more haunting where the film finally goes into something less objective or i mean it's still objectively showed but sort of leading the audience of what to think with the the kid of the dead corrupt police officer who's just playing soccer even though his dad is now dead yeah he's just trying to play a a soccer game and then you just hear gunfire in the background and they stop and then they keep playing yep yeah yeah Yeah, but everybody turns in a great performance. Del Toro, as usual, um, plays a very great brooding character with a horrific backstory. Emily Blunt is the, the, probably the best part of it. Josh Brolin is is great as the like oh, wisecracking, yeah. super violent CIA dude. Daniel Kaluuya is excellent. John Bernthal in his small role. Oh yeah. Uh, even Jeffrey Donovan shows up to put in a silly performance. <laughs> <laughs> What a weird actor that Jeffrey Donovan. But yeah, Roger Deakins again, cinematographer, excellently shot. Johan Johansson with the score. Um, the same way that Hans Zimmer's scores for Christopher Nolan started to influence all the big budget blockbusters, Johan Johansson had the same effect, I would argue, with this film. For sure. Uh, where the like sort of drone sounds yep. uh, would become the big thing that everyone would copy. Uh, for sure yeah including mr zimmer himself i I was gonna say just from like tenant with that fire truck scene like and the border crossing scene of just like the tension is ramping up people are are like uh people are like pulling back the action levers on their gun like they're they they're loading up they're putting plates into their armored vests yeah um should also note written by taylor sheridan oh yes uh, thank you for mentioning that i meant to i meant to comment on that yeah a great uh great storyteller and um semi-accomplished actor himself uh he was in like sons of anarchy uh he wrote hell or high water also he's in the movie directed and wrote wind river excellent excellent movie that's that might uh, be one of the connections with bernthal actually now that i think about it because he's in this, too, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. He's, he's also written quite a few other TV shows. All of them are newer. Yeah. Um, so Yellowstone, like, really made him big because he, like, directed episodes, wrote the whole thing, produced it, created it, runs the show. So that's, like, his show. Um, the Last Cowboy, Mayor of Kingstown, 1883, which is some stupid Yellowstone spinoff. <laughs> Same with 1923, I think. I don't know if all of those are connected. Whatever. They're... <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever watch Yellowstone just because I have some issues with... Uh... No, no, no. We can't go to that. Yeah, okay. Let's not get that, into that. Will, that will take too long. Um... Kevin Costner's... 
Kevin costs the Lostners. The Lostners. He's, he's gonna be in the hack frauds. Don't uh, worry. He's he's on the rival. Came out in 2016, <laughs> starring Jeremy Renner, uh, and Amy Adams. Unfortunately, Jeremy Renner had an accident, uh, pretty recently. I don't know if you heard about that. Yeah, he got he like got rolled over by his own snowmobile or something. Yeah. Um. He's fine. He is not fine. He's not okay. Oh, I thought he was fine. No, he's having like hyperbaric, like he's being, he, 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 I don't know if he can feed himself. Oh, he's having like hyperbaric. I would just look this up like five minutes ago while we were talking, but he's having like hyperbaric therapy treatments for like with oxygen twice a day. Uh Oh, I don't think he's going to be okay. I well, mean, his I hope, career I was hope. already sort of over, but yeah, I mean, I hope, I hope he'll be fine. I don't have anything against him, but uh, um, anyway, this this Forrest movie, Whitaker, Michael Stewart, Simba, yeah. um, came out in 2016. I feel like this movie kind of flew under the radar, to be honest with you. Really, I have talked with many a person who quote likes movies and who has never seen this, but. This movie was a huge hit, massive critical and commercial success. I'm talking Uh, to the wrong people then. (sighs) Uh, Yeah, I love this movie. Um, Yeah. It's also... I think it's, it's like, perfectly edited. Um, I really like the aspect of a linguist like being the person that we turn to when aliens arrive because we have to figure out how to communicate with them as opposed to just like blowing them up or attacking them. And clearly they're trying to communicate in some capacity. Uh, It's a very inspiring story as well as being somewhat Christopher Nolan-esque actually now that I think about it, just as far as like the plot. I don't want to ruin the movie for people who haven't seen it, but you know what I'm talking about. Like three quarters of the way through and the end. Oh, this one we're going to have to spoil, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if you haven't seen Arrival, I don't know what you're doing, but this is must-watch. Must-watch material. I mean, I think Sicario is a masterpiece. Um... I mean, it's gotten some credit for being great. And Prisoners is just shy of, you know, incredible. Uh, but this movie is definitely Villeneuve's best so far. Uh, yeah, I think so, too. I I think this is his best. It's not my favorite, though. Um, it used to be my favorite, but I think, like, I can't... I probably, like, can't rewatch it that often. Just because it's not as fun as, like, Sicario, personally. Like, I, I would probably watch Sicario a lot more often than any of the other ones. Prisoners would probably, like, take me to too dark of a place if I watched that, like, every year. Um, watch it on Thanksgiving as a member of how important family is. I'd rather watch The Dark Knight. Uh, but, yeah, th- this this movie, the writing is awesome. The This is where I think Villeneuve gets emotion also like perfect 
like the the emotional beats of this movie like really crescendo perfectly um i don't really have too much more to say about it than that it hits really strong strongly yeah i mean it's um it's it's hard to talk about why the movie is so effective without spoiling it. Like basically, aliens land on Earth. Amy Adams is a linguist who is sent to meet them. The movie actually starts with Amy Adams' kid dying. Yes. Um. But basically, she has to communicate with these big, weird squid alien fellows. Um. And. It's really hard to understand what they're trying to say. Uh, she starts to have like weird visions of the past and the future and basically learns that their form of language. Um, they can see the future and they are there because they need humanity's help. Because in the future they will save humanity. But humanity needs to like help the alien. It's like a, it's, it's kind of like the yeah the interstellar bit where they're like we found this stupid fucking wormhole out by Jupiter that we made or what we made the tesseract but we needed to get into it for it to be made. This one makes more sense though. Um, yes, if you're trying to find the the plot holes. This one doesn't really have it. Yeah, and it's it's also really cool because the language that they use is visual. And it's also like visually palindromic, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, so like a palindrome, right? It reads the same way forwards as it does backwards, um, which obviously if you compare that with time, um, time being in a circle uh, or like a line that bends back on itself, that's how their like language works. Um, and then the significance of Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner's daughter, her name is Hannah. Uh, which is obviously a palindrome, but that has, um, it like provides clarity for Amy Adams uh, in the end. Right, because once she understands the language, she sees time non-linearly. So she can see into the future the same way that she can see into the past. Um. And so that that's like the first twist is that her daughter has not been born yet. Yeah. So even though the movie begins with her daughter dying, that's like the I mean, that's the whole crux that the movie is built around. Like, that's the emotion the movie is built around is the fact that Adams knows her daughter will die and chooses to have her anyway. Exactly. Um, because the death of the daughter is less important to her than the precious years that she'll have with her. And that's the whole point of the movie is why do anything if you know that it's not going to last? And it's like, well, because because of those precious moments that you get with the people around you or the precious moments that you have to do something important or that that make you feel good or that you do something that's actually of significance or that just brings you joy. Um, Yeah. So. And so that's where the plot of the movie comes in, is that the aliens are here to help us because we have to help them in the future. But they're helping us to learn each other and stop war between humans. And so they need um, 
the Chinese are like gonna attack the aliens, and so the <laughs> aliens finally teach Amy at because of course. Yeah. Uh, yes. And so. The, Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh at that, but it's just like it, it's very realistic. It's it's very plausible. Yeah. So then, I mean, it would be the Russians, not the Chinese, but um, <laughs> the the aliens give her like this general in china's like wife's dying words yes that she then uses to call him and says it and then the guy's like oh fuck and then he calls it off and then the, everybody in the world works together in war there are no winners only widows that's yeah. the quote yeah <clears throat> which is amazing like when i say the writing is awesome in this i mean from the story from the characters but also like what they say like uh -huh. the the dialogue and also the language of the aliens, yeah. Also the the like the abstract nature and the like mystery around the aliens. Like their their like craft is not easily definable, right? It's just this weird sort of like obelisk, orbed yeah. obelisk thing that floats in the sky, and they just kind of like appear one day and they're like around very important places uh, in the world. <laughs> Yeah. Um, questions of determinism yeah but this this movie uh definitely feels kind of like uh like an older brother to enemy um just with like you know the really abstract kind of like tarantula fucking thing um and then like there's a lot a lot more uh emotional connection that i think the audience feels from this movie as opposed to enemy obviously um which is a little bit more like jagged and disjointed in its own way which doesn't make it worse but is um is ultimately just because of how good this movie is <clears throat> like the it's very complete and like it's really weird too because if you just like look like if you heard the description of the movie and you look at the the poster for the film, you're like, oh, this is just going to be like a crazy sci-fi action movie. Mm, yeah, there's like, very little action. Like that's what it looks like. There are choppers approaching this weird orb in the sky. You have Amy Adams looking off into the distance. Forrest Whitaker in fatigues. Jeremy Renner looking confused. <laughs> Well, to be fair, it is a really hard movie to market. They actually did a very good job of marketing the movie effectively. Yeah. No, no. I, I more so mean like people nowadays looking at it and being like, huh, I wonder if I should watch this. Which just also brings up the fact that there's a, just a bunch of trash out there. <laughs> Sci-fi, yeah. military, action, trash. But Yeah, this is like a better version of uh, Contact. Contact. Jodie Foster film. Guess guess who directed Contact? Oh yeah, is this? Uh, I'm okay. Let's don't move look, on. Don't look it up. Let's uh, move on. Let's you move on. <laughs> we could have brought it all back around to Robert Zemeckis, but you had to go and spoil it. Zemeckis is a palindrome. <laughs> okay, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> to, 
Moving on to Dune 2049. <laughs> All right, yeah, Dune 2049. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, Blade Runner 2049 came out in 2017. Okay. Blade Runner 2. I had the I had the fortunate opportunity to watch this in Taiwan, um, which was pretty cool just because of, like, I don't know if anyone else has been to Taiwan or East Asia, but there's like a, just a ton of like neon lights, like uh, like on the streets and like in the cities. And Blade Runner itself, like the original movie, like has a lot of that sort of atmosphere of just like you take that atmosphere and then multiply it by like a hundred and just make the buildings that much taller, and you have like a bunch of a bunch of like projections. Right. And um, there's also like a lot of different like I I don't even know if Blade Runner uses a specific language or if it uses its own language on like signs. It's like I don't think it's Japanese. I don't think it's Chinese and I don't think it's Korean. I think it's its own characters, but maybe not. But anyway that's very possible that it might just be something pulled straight from do androids dream of electric sheep yeah i've never read that so i don't know uh if there's something in that about the language they use but 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 anyway uh i got to see this in taiwan and it was awesome um the only drawback was that the theater sound was not the best um but oh well uh yeah this movie's color use is amazing uh yeah nearly unparalleled i would say uh as far as like movies in the last 10 years in terms of the use of color yeah like the coloration of scenes and lights and lighting. Uh oh. What what's going on? I thought you disagreed. No, no, I, I I'm I Were you just waiting for me to keep <laughs> talking? Yeah, I thought you were going to say something else. Uh, I thought you were disagreeing. That's why I was waiting for you to talk. No, I, yeah, I, I think the color use in this movie is incredible. It's extremely masterful. I've only seen it once, uh, but I definitely need to watch it again on the projector because I'm sure it would look awesome. It is a, a visual masterpiece with a poopy shit story. Yeah, I don't like this story at all. I think this screen script is is not fully baked. It's pulled out of the oven a little, a little before. It looks really nice. Like it's it it looks it's a perfectly looking cooked dish, but I would agree with that. It's often mushy. Um, I think everything about this movie works except for that. I think it is weirdly written. I don't. Wow, 
You mean you don't like Hampton Fancher? <laughs> I don't know who Hampton Fancher or Michael Green are. Yeah. I assume they were involved in writing the original. Oh, Michael Green, writer of incredible classics like Alien Covenant and Murder on the Orient Express. And Green Lantern. <laughs> yeah, that not a good not a good screen. But yeah. And, and um, Logan. But yeah. That's, that was a direct adaptation of it. It seems like that. It seems like Michael Green may have gotten in the way of Hampton Fancher. Not that Blade Runner itself is a perfect script, but it's way better than 2049. Ah, uh, yeah. So that's always been something that was tough for me was whether or not this movie was better than Blade Runner. Um, yeah, yeah. That's a tough call because Blade Runner is good, but also overrated. Um, I would say from a lot of people's perspectives, I know some people like that's their favorite movie ever, and it's a good movie. It's definitely good. Um, it's a cult movie, but yeah, I didn't. Um, I mean, Blade Blade Runner is a movie that is largely devoid of any emotional stakes until the very end, when it all Rutger Hauer just slams you with a hammer. Oh yeah, all at once. This movie never feels like it gets to that. Um, and it's not because Gosling doesn't have a great performance. Um, like his performance, uh, like, you know, sort of robotic drive-esque performance um, still manages, I think, to get me pretty into the movie. And there are some really good supporting performances. Like Anna de Armas is really good as the robot hologram. Yeah. Uh, Robin Wright is good in her small role as the uh, like lieutenant or whatever the police chief. You is son of a bitch. He's wild card, but he gets results. Dave Bautista is good in that opening scene. Um, Harrison Ford is passable, uh, <laughs> and Jared Leto is almost not annoying. <laughs> Edward James almost is good in his like one scene or two scenes he's in. Um, but yeah, as for the actual plot, like the fact, basically it centers around the fact that the robot from the first movie fucked Harrison Ford and they had a kid and that's a huge conspiracy. That's real bad because it undermines all of society that robots can have kids. And it's frustrating because the whole point of the first movie was answering the question the novel posed the answer was yes once you make a robot that is so intelligent it becomes life mm -hmm. so what more did this story need to tell us about the nature of existence with regards to like holographic ai or robotic ai um I mean, but, similar to Arrival, there's themes of determinism where, like, um, yeah, the the K robot is like forced down this path. Like he was forced to do this. This was a job he was meant to always do was going to be to uncover this grand conspiracy. Isn't there that that place that they go that's like a, a factory or like a scientific like area or something? I, I forget what it is like. I'm failing with the words for it. Yeah, it's but like it, a trash place. It reminds me it reminds me of like a, a specific scene or set of scenes from like Minority Report. 
where they have to go to that one area and there's like one person that has I don't think they have visions but they yes they go to a big trash like manufactory plant and there's a bunch of little kid AI robots and the leader of the robots is like you were a kid here once too and your memories were tricked because we needed you to help our uprising against the evil corporation Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I don't. I don't think it's as good as Blade Runner, but I don't think Blade Runner is as good as everyone thinks it is. I don't like the end of this movie. Yeah. Twenty forty nine. Yeah. I like the very end scene where like the guys lying in the snow. Ryan for Gossin's sure, for sure. But seeing the snow and Harrison Ford goes to see his robot daughter. I like that. And I like the scene before that, actually. But it's not a satisfying conclusion to the narrative at all, which no. gets like super convoluted and nonsensical. Whereas Blade Runner has a very straightforward narrative that starts slow and builds and builds. And then you get that confrontation between Ford and Rutger Hauer with the I've seen ships blowed, blowed up in the space and I tears in the rain. Like there isn't anything like that in this movie. Like the end of this movie wants to evoke some kind of emotion like that, <clears throat> but they don't show Ford meeting the daughter. Yeah. Which is Instead, very it odd. Focuses on the robot, which is as if to give the nod back to Blade Runner, but just Ryan Gosling staring emotionless at the sky while snow falls is not as powerful as seeing Harrison Ford almost cry as he embraces his kid. For sure. Um, so yeah, I it's a it frustrating a weird choice. Um, Definitely yeah. a weird choice. But it doesn't. Um, it I don't think it it says anything about Villeneuve's ability to direct because this is a huge project that he completely succeeded on. Yeah. Um, he made a a very functionally um, awesome sequel to a beloved sci-fi classic uh, that just gets bogged down in its own uh, stupidness with the fucking Michael Green. <laughs> yeah. This but, movie was considered a, a commercial failure. Um, yeah. Yeah. Probably because the marketing costs were just in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh Then bring on 2021's Dune. Oh, yep. Dune. Awesome score. Um, Hans Zimmer. Yeah, I am Hans Zimmer. Visual, visually, uh, like more clear than um, Blade Runner. Like, like it. It, it doesn't get caught up in the lights, obviously, because um, obviously there's not as many lights in the desert, but it does use the co- like the coloration um, to great effect, I would say. <clears throat> um, I think this movie is good. I don't know if I would say it's great. Uh, yeah, I mean, much of the way that I think uh, we'll look back on this movie will depend heavily on how the sequel turns out. 
Right, right. Because uh, this is only half of a story. Yep. yep. Uh, the end of this movie is not a conclusion to a story in any way. No. Uh, which means that its success will depend on the success of the sequel. Um, I think everything that it wanted to do, it did well. Mm-hmm. The action scenes are really refreshing. Like, there's lots of big-budget, explosive science fiction action that yeah. is so much better than all of the other humdrum crap that we get yeah. that it felt like they didn't just recycle the same CGI models that I've seen a thousand times in every Marvel movie and every See Star Wars. DC movie and every goddamn Star Wars movie. Yeah. Yeah, those are all recycled. This feels fresh and new in that regard. As for the rest of the movie, I don't know what to think because I need to see the evolution of the characters to know what will happen. Yeah, for sure. So, like, um, people like Jason Momoa's character and uh, Josh Brolin, like, they're all serviceable. Oscar Isaac does what he's supposed to do well. Yep. But, like, Rebecca Ferguson, Chalamet, Zendaya, um, Stellan Skarsgård's, Dave Batista, all of them have bigger roles to play in the second half of the story. Yeah. And, and Javier Bardem obviously like just kind of comes in at the end and is like, here I come. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's unclear to me, like if they'll drop the ball or if Villeneuve will just hit a home run. Cause the second half of this story has all of the crazier action bits. It has all of the complications with the Fremen. It has all the stuff with, um, uh, yeah. Uh, what's his name? The, Paul. The, Paul becoming omniscient, basically. Yeah, and the diplomatic, like, intergalactic uh, relations that they have to to do. Exactly. They have to figure out. Yeah, Dune is a complicated novel, and it didn't feel... It felt like they got the world right. Like, the Fremen felt correct. Uh, sort of the background world building with, like, the Artreides... Uh, family lineage, like the ships were all cool. Um, everything felt like it was in its right place, but I don't know. I'm hesitant to like give it a total pass because the sequel is is very important. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think they did explain enough of the stuff though, like uh. They, they explain Spice, they explain the Worms, they explain, like, the Spacing Guilds and some of the hierarchy of the Empire. Um, we learn about just enough about the Bene Gesserit and how they're super sketchy with their weird genetic manipulations. I think, I think the movie does a great job of condensing down information as well, as opposed to just, like, overwhelming you with expository gobbledygook and you just being like, what the fuck are the Fremen again? Like, why Why did we just, like, see how the Fremen poop and how they share that with each other, and that's their main source of nutrients? Not that they are. I'm just making something up. But, like, that, they totally could have gotten, like, way caught up in the, the canon of Dune. Um, but, yeah, like, the, <laughs> the score and just the, like, crescendo of voices. Um, and, yeah. It really, it really brings you in, and a must-see uh, experience in in theaters for sure. So yeah, I mean that's a good note to end on for uh, the second one coming out in the next year or two. This no, just this year. Shit, when it's coming out in like months. It's like the beginning of November. 
amazing. Can't wait. Yeah. So we've we've now covered a few, quite a few filmmakers who are still making stuff. So we'll probably have. Uh, I mean, it's an addendum to uh, easy content to crank yeah. out. Yeah. Fincher's got a new movie. Villeneuve's got a new movie. Hopefully, we'll we can find a way to watch like some of these older uh, Villeneuve films. <laughs> Dennis, some Dennis films. Villeneuve. Yeah. Have you ever seen uh the '84 Dune, the David no. Lynch Dune? No, but I did see that the woman who plays Rachel in uh that movie we just talked about Blade Runner is the woman in Dune yes Rachel oh oh in the Lynch Dune okay yeah yeah um no 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 she's not in she's not in uh the new Dune why why do you ask if I've seen the other Dune Oh, just to compare it to to this one, because they're extremely different. No, I haven't seen it only because I like David Lynch and I don't really want to mar uh, that image. It's not his fault. That's one of the reasons why I won't watch it. It it's one of those great examples of a director having a vision and the studio just coming right in over the top and shitting all over it like basically they took like you know how this dune part one has just the right amount of exposition as in very little yeah you still get what's happening it's mostly like most of the exposition is visually shown which is not techno babble which is the most which is like one of the strongest points of this movie and something that I think a lot of aspiring filmmakers should aim to do in their films. Also, is... just the sense of scale. Yeah, exactly. So, basically, Lynch shot a four-hour version of Dune. <laughs> and the, the studio was like, yeah, it can't be more than two and a half hours. So they chopped it up. Oh, God. And then they, they like were watching and were like, this movie doesn't make any sense. What's this even about? So then instead of, you know, trying to re-edit it again and find a compromise, they just put a bunch of really bad voiceover in over the whole movie to explain everything. So it's just this chopped up version of Dune that makes no sense with like bad techno babble and world building just thrown in on top of it. That would be can you imagine Peter Jackson's The Lord of the Rings like with with just crazy voiceovers and, and lore babble? There's already a lot of voiceover like that, like a lot of meddling in that movie. The only reason it works is because they already have all of the good dialogue and they can just have Hugo weaving like a cast of amazing like Hugo weaving, Kate Blanchett, Ian McClellan can just come over the top and say shit as they show the beautiful New Zealand landscape. And it just tricks the audience into thinking that, you know, the story is still moving. (laughs) Like, there's multiple scenes like that in the second and third movie where it's Kate Blanchett, who hasn't been in the movie now for, like, six hours, just being like, the ring bearer will lose his hope very soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but at least at least it's not, like, 
clearly just the producers uh, inserting nonsensical voiceovers. Could have been Javi. <sighs> so yeah, that's uh, David Villain. D- David Denis Villeneuve's. Uh... <laughs> Sorry, I'm insane now. Just to have had like too much caffeine, and uh, I should note that uh, Villeneuve lists his uh, main influences on his filmmaking. Uh, one of them is Paul Thomas Anderson. Excellent. Along with uh, Kubrick, Hitchcock, the Coens, and Spielberg. Amazing. Which makes a lot of sense. What an inspiring list, honestly. Yeah, that 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 should about do her. Oh, we didn't uh, talk about Next her. Floor, though. Oh, yeah, we didn't. The two-minute short. Or three minutes short. Actually, like ten minutes. Why is it listed as that on IMDb? Don't don't look at. Why are you looking at IMDb? I'm yes. not. I'm just going off my memory of it. All lies on IMDb. Uh, <laughs> the only reason I wanted to bring it up is because it's a, just a great short film. Uh, yeah. I don't know how many people enjoy short films, but uh, you should enjoy them. Um, especially for like it being like a proof of concept for any aspiring filmmaker, right? If you can tell a compelling story and can convey some type of abstract emotion or uh, commentary through, you know, something that's only like 10 minutes, then yeah, that, that just proves to pretty much everyone that you, you can be entrusted with something larger. And yeah, this the short film definitely proves that. I mean, he he made movies before this as well, but <clears throat> yeah, it's literally just a bunch of like well dressed rich people gorging themselves to death on a bunch of meat. The editing is reminiscent of uh oh god, I can never remember um the character's name. It's it's Faramir's dad. Yeah, I and know he's exactly just like, what you mean. He's like plucking like grapes. With the cherries. Yeah, the cherries, yeah cherries. The chicken. Yeah, and the editing is very reminiscent of that. Like it's so bothersome, the lip smacking and the crushing of <laughs> of uh, text, John, John text, Noble textures. John Noble name. Yeah, I just can't remember uh, his name in the story is what I mean. But Denethor. Denethor, yeah. There you go. Yeah, uh, watch Next Floor if you can find it. I don't know where it's streaming, but yeah. I think it's permanently in the Criterion Collection. Perfect. Can't wait to see what else this man cranks out in the coming years. Because he doesn't seem like he's... I mean, I... Down or stopping at all. Yeah, I really hope he he doesn't. Fingers crossed. My main thing, my only fear, like as a closing note, is that Dune 2... Like, th- this is a weird fear to have, that Dune 2 <laughs> is, like, a masterpiece and, like, perfectly adapts the story and it complements part one. And that then Villeneuve is like, oh, well, if I did Dune 1 well, now I could just make all the Dune sequel books. Right. Which are, in, like, all increasingly pieces of trash. Yeah. Uh, very hard to film. Yeah, um, that That would be a waste of his talents. Because I don't really need him to keep working in science fiction. I want to see him do more uh, 
like reality thriller based stuff yes. or at least well, a, another movie like that in between doing these i want to see blockbusters I, I definitely want to see some heists some heisty movies from him i don't know if he likes heists but well he would do something else aside from just the heist yeah but... yeah Sex but that just part two <laughs> but that just brings up just make a movie that you would enjoy so that's what we gotta do <laughs> there are cats trying All to right. break through the door time to go adios everyone <laughs>